Good afternoon. I am very thankful for the opportunity that we have as a, a spiritual family to come together. Um, and I hope each time we come together and, and study God's word together, uh, I, I don't really think of, of a sermon anymore as, as some kind of presentation that I'm giving to you all. I, I see this as kind of a family meeting where we're, we're getting together as brothers and sisters and talking about what it is that God wants of us uh, and, and seeking to encourage and edify one another in that way so we can go out and, and be shining lights of his character in the way we live uh, from day to day and certainly in the way that we interact with one another as well. I'm very thankful for, for the relationships that we, we have among the group here. The Bible is full of examples. It's full of both negative and positive examples. We certainly do see many negative examples of, of people who engaged in sin and disobedience to God and their, their judgment, but we also see many positive examples, many men and women of faith that can be role models for us to follow. Because while certainly Jesus is our ultimate example. He's our ultimate role model. God, throughout the scriptures, gives us many other examples to, to illustrate godly character in different situations, in different settings, and in different ways. Maybe you have some of your favorite Bible stories, some of your favorite Bible characters, and I don't use that term uh, as if this is some fictional book that we're talking about, but maybe, maybe you have stories that really resonate with you. Individuals, maybe like, like Daniel or, or Joseph or Esther or Ruth or, or David, that uh, re really have an impact uh, upon you. Uh, I, I want to share with you today an individual that has really, uh, over the last few weeks, become much more and more impressive to me. But perhaps because I feel like the character that he reflects is the character that we need within the Lord's church today more than anything. Uh, and that is Barnabas. Uh, Luke just read the passage where we're first introduced to Barnabas. And we learn there in Acts 4 and verse 36 that his given name was actually Joseph. I don't think anybody of us would, would know him by that name because the apostles gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement or exhortation or comfort. Uh, and so for the rest of the scriptures, that's how we know him, because of his character. What, what made Barnabas a Barnabas? Why, why was it that he earned that name? Uh, well, I think we're, we can see throughout the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, some different reasons why he is called son of encouragement. And I hope by looking at that, we can see how you and I can better be Barnabases for one another. Be the type of people that, that lift up and encourage each other. First of all, if we want to be a Barnabas, I think from the very beginning, we see that we need to be a servant. Barnabas had a servant's heart. In fact, here in Acts chapter 4, when he is first given this name, uh, he's actually mentioned almost randomly. It seems kind of out of the blue that Barnabas all of a sudden is mentioned, and then we go into the next chapter, and there's nothing really more about him. But here, uh, God saw fit to include Barnabas here to tell us, kind of introduce us to him and tell us something at least a little bit about him. You notice there 
that many were, were selling lands and houses in verse 34 and bringing the uh, proceeds and laying them at the apostles' feet. And then we're introduced in verse 36. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here, when, when Barnabas earned this name, the, the very first thing that we hear about him, the only thing that we know about him at this point, is that he set an example of sacrificial and selfless giving. So uh, he was the kind of man that wasn't focused on, you know, the next big purchase that he was saving up for or the next big vacation that he and his family were, were going to take. Here, when he had something at his disposal... Uh, he, he sells it, which would have likely been a, a very large sacrifice. Land would have been a very valuable commodity, but he sells it and he gives the proceeds, lays them at the apostles' feet to help others who are truly in need. Barnabas has a servant's heart here. And in fact, this isn't the only time that we see Barnabas having this servant heart. Uh, we, we can also see in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, if you want to look, starting in verse 27. It says in Acts 11, verse 27, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So we're in Acts chapter 11, and we see here that Agabus tells us uh, that there's going to be this famine. In fact, it's going to be a famine over the entire world. And yet the saints there at Antioch don't think, oh, there's going to be a famine over the entire world. We better get ready for ourselves, right? They think, well, what can we do to help our brethren in Judea? And they send that by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, they, they trust that uh, Barnabas is a man who, who can lead such an effort. He, he's known as a man who had the type of character uh, that genuinely cared for the poor and needy. We see that back in Acts chapter 4. Again, we see that in Acts 11 as he's leading this effort uh, to, to go and take these funds to those who need them in Judea. In Galatians chapter 2, when Paul is talking about some of his own experience and his own growth, we see in, Acts chap uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Uh, here, Paul makes this statement about himself, but he, he's doing it along with Barnabas here. They, he and Barnabas have been given this right hand of fellowship, and they're urged to remember the poor in this. And they said, and, and that's what we were eager to do. I, I think we, we can include Barnabas in that as well. Ministering to the needy was a significant part of what Barnabas was all about. That's what we first see him doing. That's what we see him doing again in Acts chapter 11. That's what we see Paul saying that he and Barnabas were involved in. They cared about people, about people in need 
among them. Is that us? Do we have the heart of a servant? Do we show compassion to those in need? Are we eager to remember the poor? Are we willing to even sacrifice our own enjoyment and fulfillment to make sure that somebody else's needs are met? James chapter 1 and verse 27 tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If we're going to have the heart of Christ, if we're going to be a Barnabas, then, then we need to have great care and compassion to those who are in need. Is this something that we're passionate about, that we place as a high priority in our service to the Lord? Are we eager to remember the poor? Or might we be described as those who are reluctant to remember the poor? Are we people who are quick to lend a helping hand? Or are we people who are quick to kind of analyze and criticize why somebody might be in the situation that they are to begin with? I understand there's a great need to exercise wisdom in genuinely helping people, right? And making sure that we're giving them what, what they truly need uh, as as we seek as individual Christians to go out and serve those around us, we, we want to do it in the best possible way. But we need to make sure that we are quick to give, that we are quick to sacrifice, that we are quick to serve, quick to show compassion to the oppressed and the marginalized. That's the character of Barnabas, eager to serve those in need around them. Serving the needy was a significant aspect of who Barnabas was. We not only see that in Acts 4, we see that in his continual service along with Saul. Uh, and if we want to be a Barnabas, then we need to have a servant's heart of compassion, looking out for those around us. Not simply self-serving, saving up for our own enjoyment, our own good, but thinking, well, how can I use what God has given me for the good of others around me? But secondly, Barnabas was a peacemaker. Look in Acts chapter 9. We, we've looked at this passage actually the last two weeks as we talked about local church membership. We looked at it from that context of Saul seeking to join himself to the uh, congregation, the flock in Jerusalem. But I, I want us to notice something else in this passage, specifically as it applies to Barnabas. Here in Acts chapter 9, we're going to start reading in uh, verse 26. It says in verse 26, And when he had come, talking about Saul, come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So we went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Do you see Barnabas' role in this? I, I want you to, to stop and try to imagine for a moment. Try to imagine what this situation would have been like in Jerusalem. Imagine yourself in the assembly with, with the Jerusalem congregation. And you're visiting with your brethren, and it's an atmosphere of, of warmth and joy. And all of a sudden, Saul of Tarsus walks into the room. What do you think the reaction would be to that? You know, the conversations kind of trail off. There's kind of an eerie silence here. There, there's a, a 
now suddenly an atmosphere of, of icy coldness, of, of fear, of dread, maybe even of disdain. Why is he here? What's he going to do to us? And then you hear Saul try to explain his intentions and explain what, why he's there. Can, can you imagine what that would be like for those brethren? This is the very church that Saul had been leading in and persecuting. Even to the extent that he wasn't content to persecute them, he was getting letters to go and persecute other people and throw them in jail. Try to imagine what some of those interactions may have been like. Can you imagine some of the attitudes that might have been expressed among those brethren? Can you imagine a father standing up and saying to Saul, you may not remember me, but I remember you. You came into my house and you hauled my son away and he is still in chains today because of what you did. Can you imagine a, a mother clinging her fatherless children to her breasts and saying, three months ago, my husband was dragged out of the city by a mob and stoned to death. And you stood there and you watched him die as he called out to the Lord. And you want me to believe that you're a changed man and that now you just want to be part of us? Can you imagine the overflow of emotion that must have been going on and some of these wounds that these brethren had experienced, even at the very hands of Saul and those with him, that are now being torn wide open. And in the midst of that, Barnabas comes. And he is the kind of man to take Saul and say, we're, we're going to go talk to the apostles together. We're going to sit down. And we're going to talk through this. And he explains the change that Jesus had made in Saul's heart. Brethren, we need more Barnabases. We need people who are willing to bridge the gap. When there's conflict, when their emotions are high, we need people who are willing, with the love and mercy of Jesus, to come in to help that communication take place so we can work through those wounds and that hurt together and be unified the way that God wants us to be. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Barnabas was a peacemaker. Brother, that's what you and I need to be as well. We certainly need that in our country and within the church today more than anything. We need to be the kind of people who work hard not to give offense, nor to take offense, but to tear down the fence. We need to be the kind of people to bring people together, to heal hurt feelings, to address points of division in ways that are respectful and understanding to everyone involved. Help people see things from others' perspectives. We need to be the kind of people who don't choose sides in a conflict but who encourage communication in a way that can bring those two sides together to stand arm in arm, unified in the principles of God's word. You know, there, there's a lot in our country to divide over right now. In fact, I, I suspect as November comes, there'll probably be a lot more for us to divide over. How are we going to handle that? 
you know, we, we may not fully agree even right now on, on how big a problem or how dangerous COVID-19 is for each of us individually. And that's okay. The Bible doesn't give us that answer. It, it doesn't tell us in 2020, this is how serious it is and this is exactly how you need to handle it. We may not agree on that. And we may not agree fully on to what extent police brutality is a problem in our country. I think we all recognize it is a problem, but we may not agree to what extent it is. We may not agree to what extent uh, racial injustice is a problem in our country, because the Bible doesn't say in the United States in this year, you know, th this is how big of a problem it is, and this is how you need to view it. It's okay that we may have slightly different perspectives on some of those things. A lot of those things come from our own perceptions, our own experiences, uh, and what media source we're willing to listen to. But if we differ so widely in how we view the world of today, how are we ever going to find unity with one another? How are we going to be peacemakers? when there are things that the Bible doesn't give us a clear answer on. Well, it means we're going to have to start listening to one another. It means we're going to have to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, try to see the world of today from their perspective. It means we're going to have to give more weight to what somebody else says than to what I personally perceive. We're going to have to learn to see the world through each other's eyes. We're going to have to hold to our own opinions about anything that God's word doesn't give us the answer to very loosely and very humbly. Brethren, I shouldn't be digging my heels into anything but God's word. And if I have some opinion about something that, that God's word doesn't give me the answer to, I need to be very careful that I'm not standing on that in a way that's going to cause division within the body of Christ. Let's make sure that we're standing on the principles of God's word and listening to one another so that we can best apply some of those principles. So that we can find unity. So that we can learn how not to give offense. We can try not to take offense. But we can tear down the fence and work together, standing firmly on God's word. Are we Barnabases? Are we peacemakers? When, when there is hurt, when there is pain, when there's misunderstanding, are we the kind of people that are going to bridge the gap, or are we just going to make it wider? So certainly, we, we need to communicate. We need to communicate our experiences, communicate our perceptions, be willing to listen to other people's experiences and perceptions of some of these things. We need to help each other understand. But brethren, the, the only line in the sand that we should be drawing is a line that God has already drawn. Any line in the sand that has to do with, with politics or COVID-19 or, or these other things, we have no place drawing lines. We need to stand firm in the principles of what God has shown us and seek to work together to apply those principles in our modern world in ways that will help glorify God and further his cause. 
But finally, thirdly, I won't say finally because then you'll think we're going to finish right away. Thirdly, Barnabas was an encourager. In fact, that's where he gets his name. Barnabas means son of encouragement, son of exhortation. Uh, and while we might see even back in Acts chapter 4 some reason why he might have received this name, I think we continue to see why Barnabas is known as Barnabas through the rest of the Bible, through the rest of the book of Acts. Look in Acts chapter 11. This is after Barnabas has already been the peacemaker between Saul and, and the saints in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19, we're going to get some context here. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word, not, uh, no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you see that there? Here, we, we see the gospel is spreading in Antioch. And in fact, it's now spreading among the, the Hellenists, the, the, the Grecian Jews. And... Jerusalem sends Barnabas up because they have great confidence in him, in his heart. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he's very encouraged by what he sees. And many come to the Lord through, through his work and through others there. But in verse 25, Barnabas travels to Tarsus, a, a, a trip of, of about 90 miles, to go find Saul. And to bring him back to Antioch to work with the church there. Well, why do you think Barnabas did that? Do, do you think that was primarily for Antioch's benefit or primarily for Saul's benefit? I think we could probably say both. But I, I think it's very clear that, that Barnabas is, back in Acts chapter 9, trying to advocate for Saul, trying to help Saul in his work. Perhaps Barnabas knows uh, here these Hellenists don't have the same wounds that some of those brethren in Jerusalem had that made it hard for Saul to have, have a positive influence. Maybe he knows Saul's going to be able to be a better influence here. I don't know what the reasons might have been. But we see him calling Saul and saying, you know what, I, I think you would be good for this. I think you could do a lot of good in the Lord's work here in Antioch. Why don't you come and, and work with me? You know, the, the word son of encouragement, Bar Barnabas is, I believe, the, the Hebrew or Aramaic, but the translation there in Acts 4 when it says son of encouragement, it uses the Greek word parakaleo. And I, I don't intend to go deep into that, but basically that comes from two words that means to call to one side. Per, para being next to and kaleo being call. 
It's a picture of somebody calling somebody to their side. That's exactly what he's doing for Saul here. Calling him to his side, saying, hey, come with me. Do this work. When I think about that word, it, it calls some images to my mind of people in my life that have, have been a Barnabas for me. I remember back in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, a man named Bill Wright, who is one of the craziest man, men that I know if you ever meet him. But I, I remember as a 12-year-old having him after services come up and, and put his arm around me and one other young boy and, and say, you know, when you were singing today, I, I was just really encouraged by, by how you were singing out. I could tell your heart was really in it. I just want to tell you all that, that I really appreciate that. He called me to his side, <laughs> encouraged me. I, I think about Eric, my brother, who encouraged me at the age of 15 to teach my first Bible study. Um, as he came home from college for the summer and said, hey, let's, let's get a Bible study together. Let, let's study the Psalms. And Grady, how about you teach one of these Psalms? I think about Steve Helterbrand in St. James, Missouri, who came up to me and said, hey, there, there's a, a small country church out here, um, and we have different men come out and preach from time to time. Would you be interested in doing that? I think of a whole host of people who have called me to their side and encouraged me and built me up, equipped me, helped me in my service to the Lord. And that's exactly what I think we see Barnabas doing here. That's exactly what we want to be for somebody else. We want to be a son of encouragement. We, we need to be the kind of people that when we look at somebody else, when we look at our Christian brother and sister, we see some potential there that just needs a little bit of encouragement, needs a little bit of equipping. We need to be the kind of people who are building each other up in that way. And this isn't the last time that Barnabas does this. If you look in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, we, we see that ultimately Barnabas calling Saul to Antioch leads to a whole host of missionary journeys, right? Because it's from Antioch in Acts chapter 13 that Barnabas and Saul are then sent out. What, what if Barnabas had never called Saul? Maybe he wouldn't have ever been on that first missionary journey. Maybe he wouldn't have been on a second and a third and a fourth missionary journey. You see the effect that that had. But here, after they've returned from their first missionary journey, and in Acts chapter 15, they've dealt with some difficulties in the, in the church there in Jerusalem, some misunderstandings. Look here in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So if we go back to the first missionary journey, we, we see John Mark, uh, who was picked up in Jerusalem, goes with Paul and Barnabas. But halfway through the journey, we're not told why, 
John Mark returns home. He returns back to Jerusalem. And whatever the reason, evidently Paul, we're no longer calling him Saul now, we're calling him Paul. Uh, evidently Paul didn't think it was a good reason. And Paul is so concerned about the work that they are undertaking that he doesn't want any liabilities in this. He wants to make sure that the people that are with them are people who are committed, who are going to help throughout the work. And yet Barnabas is advocating for John Mark. Barnabas thinks that, that they need to take him along even to the point that eventually they decide to go their separate ways and Barnabas is going to take Mark and he's going to go to Cyprus, where he's from, in fact. Whereas Saul goes on to visit those other churches. We, we talked a few weeks ago about the idea of equipping being more foundational than accomplishing, right? I think that's what Barnabas is seeing here. Saul, in his mind, is thinking all about the work that they're going to do. And certainly there's a great deal of importance there. And in fact, it may have been most effective in the end for them to split ways. But what seems to be on Barnabas's heart is John Mark. Just like he had reached out to Saul and, and took him under his wing and, and said, hey, this work in Antioch, I think this would be good for you. I think you'd be good for this work. Now he's doing the exact same thing for John Mark. Even to the point that he is so invested in the growth of, of John Mark that he's going to split ways with Saul so that he can give some attention to John Mark growing in the work the way that he needs to. It's interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as, Saul, as, as Paul reaches the end of his life, he's now in prison for the second time, and he expects that his race is now about to be finished. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writes to Timothy, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Years later, Paul is now saying, I need Mark. I want him. He's very useful in the Lord's service to me right now. I wonder if that would have been the case if Barnabas hadn't taken John Mark under his wing. We need to have the heart of Barnabas in equipping people encouraging people, building them up, that they might grow to a point, that they can go on in ways that, that are much beyond what we'd be able to accomplish on our own, that they can go on to be shining lights for the Lord, that they can go on to serve others. Are we sons of encouragement? Are we the type of people that are constantly looking, not, not just for you know, what people can do for me or, or what... You know, what, what assets do, do you bring to, to the work? But how can I build you up? How can I help you use the talents that God has given you, use the gifts that God has given you to better serve him? So what about us today? What do you most need to work on as you look at Barnabas's example? Do you need to be a better servant Need to be a better peacemaker? Need to be a better encourager and equipper? Or if you're anything like me, you need to work on all three. 
Brethren, let's develop a Barnabas mindset among us, a Barnabas culture among the church here. Certainly we all are going to have different roles, different strengths and weaknesses, but let's, let's try to have the attitude of Barnabas. That we're the kind of people that are going to bring people together, that are going to unify. We're the people that are going to, to build each other up, that are going to look for the least among us and make sure that they're having their needs met. Maybe you need to confess your failings to these brethren today in one of these areas and ask for their prayers and encouragement. That, that's why we're here. We're here to help each other in our service to the Lord. Let's, let's not forget that. And if there's some way that, that we can help you, won't you let it be known? And if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we want to reiterate the gospel call for you today. Jesus died to pay the price for your sins, to take on your punishment, to conquer the death that you and I deserved, but to receive the atonement and cleansing that he provides, we need to commit our life to him. We need to confess our belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, repent of our old life, bury it in the waters of baptism, and by God's grace and with his power, we can be raised to a new life. Are you living that new life today? If you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, if there's anything that we can do to help your, you and your service to him, won't you let it be known to these brethren now as we sing?